from WUSC FM and HD1 Columbia, I'm Ward Jollis. And I'm Erin Slowey. This is Localize from WUSC News. Last week, South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster lifted all restaurant occupancy limits. While the number of COVID cases in South Carolina continues to fluctuate, some restrictions are still in place. Here to talk with us about what it's like to own a restaurant during a pandemic is Brian Glenn, owner of Village Idiot Pizza. Also, with today's announcement that Broadway will remain closed through May 2021, many wonder what the future holds for live theater in light of the pandemic. USC's student-run musical theater organization, Off Off Broadway, has a few ideas. Here to talk with us about them tonight is Off Off's president, Allison Lambert. All that and more coming up on Localize. The news is first. Live from WSC News, I'm Tyler Fedor. Earlier this week, a Greenville man visiting Columbia for a wedding was found shot dead on Senate Street. WSC's Chelsea Bynes reports. Zachary Williams is now in custody after turning himself in following the fatal Senate Street shooting that happened Sunday morning. Wesley Brown was found dead Sunday morning after a couple discovered him on their walk. This incident happened two blocks away from the horseshoe. Williams is facing charges of homicide, armed robbery, and a possession of a weapon following a violent crime. The university did not put out a Carolina alert when the incident occurred. USC spokesperson Jeff Stenslin would not comment on the incident because it is an ongoing investigation. Chelsea Bynes, USC News. The debate tonight between SC Senate Republican and incumbent Lindsey Graham and Democratic challenger Jamie Harrison has switched formats due to concerns over the coronavirus. The two challengers will now have, will now have each 30-minute back-to-back interviews to be aired on Nexstar stations around the state. The news outlet, WSPA, and both campaigns agreed to have both Graham and Harrison's temperature taken before the debate before the switch. Yesterday, though, Harrison called on Graham to get a coronavirus test after it was fa- found out Graham, during a Senate Judiciary Committee meeting, was exposed to Republican Utah Senator Mike Lee, who had tested positive for the coronavirus. Harrison said he and the panelists agreed to take coronavirus tests before the debate, but when Harrison called on Graham to do so, refused. Graham said he didn't need to take a test since he was in a large room and sat far away from Lee. The forum is now scheduled to air tonight at 7. The second presidential debate is now planned to be held in an online format next Thursday. One candidate, however, isn't pleased about the news. WSC's Finn Carlin reports. The second presidential debate is becoming uncertain as President Trump has backed out after learning it would be held virtually. As the president tested positive for the coronavirus roughly a week ago following the first debate last Tuesday, the Commission on Presidential Debates announced that the next debate on October 15th would be virtual to minimize risking the spread of COVID-19. Trump said that this was unacceptable, stating that this was not what debating was all about and expressing his opposition to the moderator having the power to mute candidates, even though such power has not been promised. After requests from President Trump's team to either postpone the debate or allow in-person participation, the commission announced Thursday that they do not plan on altering the date of the debate and that both candidates would participate from two remote locations, according to the Associated Press. Since no law requires candidates to debate, the event is now scheduled to be a town hall-style meeting with Democratic nominee Joe Biden, while President Trump has planned a rally instead of choosing to participate. Finn Carlin, WSC News, Columbia. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 161 points today. The Nasdaq rose 158 points, and the S&P 500 rose 30 points. It's currently 75 degrees outside with a low of 69 tonight. Tomorrow, we'll have a high of 80 and a low of 71. I'm Tyler Fedor, and you're listening to WSC News. It's 6.04. 
My friend Alex was diagnosed with cancer. I put on a concert with tons of other kids so they could help raise money and lift his spirits. It's a very good feeling to volunteer. Kids can really make a difference. Helping other people in my community. To do something bigger than myself. Rewarding. Every story touches home. Even if it's not your own cause, it becomes yours when you help people. I organized a food drive so they could have a warm meal every day. The people next door to us might have big struggles. Change someone's life and make someone's day. When I help out, I get this warm feeling in my heart. If you have a giving heart, you need to give as much as possible. Step out and help someone else and just help make the world a better place. Seeing garbage in road ditches and in city parks motivated me to clean up trash. If it's the right thing to do, then go ahead and do it. You should always volunteer, whether it's big or small. Start at a young age and keep promoting the spirit of volunteerism as you go throughout your life. Young students make a big difference when they volunteer. Encourage them to learn more about the Prudential Spirit of Community Awards. Visit spirit.prudential.com. You're listening to, to Localize from WSC News. I'm Erin Slowey. Last Friday, Governor Henry McMaster announced that after two months, South Carolina restaurants will be allowed to operate without occupancy limits again. Other regulations like mass requirements indoors are still in place, and other safety measures like keeping tables spaced apart are still encouraged. This announcement comes as local favorite Village Idiot Pizza celebrates its 30th anniversary tonight. Tonight we will be having Brian Glenn, who owns the restaurant, with his wife Kelly to talk about their time at the restaurant and what it's been like being a small business owner during a pandemic. Thank you for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. So let's talk about your anniversary first. So tell me a little bit about how Village Idiot got started. Yeah, so actually, so three guys came down from Jersey in uh, 1990 and opened it up. Um, I ended up moving down from New York in 94 and, and got a job working here. My wife, Kelly, was started working here in 1994 as well. Uh, we met here at the Village Idiot and um, ended up, they sold it to another guy. And then in 2003, we ended up buying it from him. So we've we've had it since 2003. Yeah, so why did you guys want to buy Village Idiot initially? Um, you know, we had, we'd both been in, I grew up working at a pizza place in my neighborhood and uh, Kelly had been in in you know working in restaurants and she was old enough to work we didn't really plan on it but the opportunity just kind of came about and figured we'd uh take a run at it so you know and here we are 17 18 years later and i'm not really sure how we got here but here <laughs> we are so how are how have things changed since you joined in 94 since you were there and how have you changed it now currently um Geez, it's it, it's it's crazy to think back, you know, when when we got here, you know, there wasn't a computer system. We actually played the music, played records on turntables. Um, you know, it every, every, so much was different than what it is now, just from you know, the, like the functionality of the business. Um, but really, the one thing it, it, it's always been kind of a uh, come one, come all type of a place. Um, you know, basically you put pizza wings and, and pitcher of beer together. And, uh, that's about what we are, you know, just, uh, getting together, watch games on TV or just getting together to hang out. You know, we have everything from college students to construction workers, to attorneys, to families. Um, 
you know, so it's a, a very diverse clientele and uh, just, you know, just a, a place where you can have a good time, um, get something to eat, have good conversation, take in some games and, and just kind of leave the world outside those doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what makes Village Idiot different from other pizza places in Colombia? Um, I don't know. I think, uh, I think our longevity kind of speaks for itself. It's a, uh, we, you know, we, we do everything fresh. We make our own dough all day, every day. Um, don't use any shortening or oils in it. It's a, just a very basic recipe. And, uh, I think that that makes a difference. Um, I think just being dedicated to, to using the ingredients that we use, it's been, going to two locations and then three, uh, back in 2015, it's been, you know, our biggest challenge has been keeping things consistent. Um, so, you know, we, we try every day, you know, just to fine tune the systems and the processes so that we can, we can put a consistent product out at all three locations, but it definitely is a challenge. Um, you know, back when we started, it was, I either made or sawed 98% of the pizzas that, that we put out. So it's, it's a little different now and sometimes it can get frustrating and there's times where, you know, just want to go back to one and be in more control of it. But, um, that's part of growth and trying to figure it out. That's kind of part of the fun of it is trying to, to figure those challenges out. Yeah. So as an owner, what is, what does your involvement look like at the restaurant day to day? Um, Kelly and I both are very hands-on, um, we're in, we're in one or all of the locations every single day. Um, you know, she handles all the, the bookkeeping and all the money and, and everything, um, very involved in hiring and, and training. I'm in a, you could find me in one of the village idiot kitchens pretty much every day. I try to take Wednesdays off, but that doesn't always happen. But other than that, I mean, very involved. And I think that's um, one, it's because you need to be, you need to keep your finger on the pulse. Uh, but two, we, you know, it's some people get into the restaurant business. They have a lot of money and it's an investment and whatnot. You know, we, we met here. We started. Um, I was the low cook on the totem pole, and she was the low waitress on the totem pole. And you know, so we we still kind of have in our heads that we're you know we're workers, we're not owners. Um, and how do you know? I don't I don't know if that ever if you can ever really shake that once that's in you. So it's hard for me, you know, to to be in one of the places and just standing there doing nothing when I feel like I can help someone do something even you know all the way down to taking out the garbage or filling up the ice or or whatever we'll we always have and always will do whatever needs to be done so you talked a little bit about the growth that village idiot has seen over the past 30 years what is the decision making like when choosing to expand to another location are you guys looking to expand more um (laughs) I don't think after the last six months, really looking to expand more, but we did, uh, so back in 2009, the, uh, forest drive location that it was an opportunity that, you know, came to us. We weren't really looking for it, but it was a good little spot over there. And it was kind of a, a neighborhood place. And we, um, we thought just kind of 
almost legitimizing the brand. So many people thought of it as just a five point, uh, you know, a five points bar that you could get pizza at. So over in Forest Acres, when you're, you know, you're just surrounded by neighborhoods and schools and churches. And um, it was a lot like the place I grew up working in back home and, um, you know, just a, a straight pizzeria with, uh, you know, close at nine o'clock at night. Most of it's pickup and, and delivery. And you have really regular customers that come in the same day, order the same thing at the same time. And, you know, you got people bringing you Christmas cards and cookies. And so that was um, kind of thinking there just almost to, to legitimize us as a restaurant and not just be thought of as a bar. Um, you know, over in Olympia, same thing they had uh pmc property had approached us and we had said no for you know over a year and then finally it kind of you know we were thinking about what we could do there and and just watching you know looking at the planning and seeing everything move that way and we thought it was an opportunity to kind of do a hybrid of the two um you know not just a a pizzeria where you're going to sit down and have a slice but not quite a, a full bar um, you know, so, and I, I think we've, we've kind of succeeded in that it's, we built a physical bar that are very small on purpose. Um, but it's still a place where, you, you know, you can come in watch some games, have some pictures with your friends and, and grab something to eat and, and have a good time. Um, and you know, it doesn't feel out of place, but it's the same respect. You never, you know, it, it's not thought of a, Hey, we're going out to get some drinks. Let's go there. It's more mm-hmm. of a, we're going to eat and then have some drinks while we're eating. Yeah, so let's switch gears a little bit to talk about the coronavirus pandemic. How has Village Idiot adjusted since the initial announcement in March of the pandemic coming to the United States? Yeah, it's um, it uh, it has been the biggest challenge that that we've ever faced, and um, it's it, you know so many so much of it has been unnerving. Um, we were able with most of my family back in New York and got a bunch of cousins on Long Island and, and Westchester County where it was, re- it was starting there and, you know, talking with them and seeing what restaurants were having to do there. We had a pretty good idea early of what things were going to start looking like. We are very lucky, um, that our concept essentially kind of played into it. We didn't. You know, everything on our menu is designed to go into some sort of a to-go box and taken out of the building. Um, you know, our staff is already trained. We already did a whole lot of pickup and delivery. So really the only thing we had to pivot on was the, the safety protocols and, and figuring out, you know, what the system was for curbside before anybody could come in the restaurant, um, putting together sanitation practices and, um you know, just staying on top of our employees with, with how we monitor their health. And, um, you know, I, I think we've, we've done all that. I bought a, a, one of those fogging sanitizer machines and every morning go to all three places and, and sanitize all of them all the way. And, um, you know, but it was, it was, um, it was challenging. We, we decided to close the five points location uh, about a week into it with, you know, at that point, things were changing even more often than daily. I mean, you know, in the morning, something was different by five o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that we were going to be moving to a curbside pickup model with the stairs down in five points, it just didn't, there wasn't an efficient way to make that happen. 
and with everything changing, it just Kelly and I, you know, talked about it a lot and it seemed it seemed a little it was giving us some anxiety trying to stay on top of everything at three locations. So we were able to, um, you know, take our employees from five points and split them between the two and then have two dedicated staffs, at, you know, at each one. So we didn't have crossover, um, you know, and it was it was a hard decision to close down the, the original one, not knowing what to do and keep it closed for as long as we did. But, um, you know, I feel like it was it was in the best interest for us as a company and, and for our employees and and you know, knowing that we could guarantee that we're, we're staying on top of everything that we needed to. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Brian. That was Brian Glenn, owner of Village Idiot Pizza. We'll be right back to hear from Off Off Broadway's president. We'll be right back. What if your brother or your husband or your daughter? What if your son came back from the service with a spinal cord injury? A quadriplegic. A paraplegic. In a wheelchair. When they volunteer to serve, we expect our country to be there for them if they are injured. For more than 60 years, Paralyzed Veterans of America has been fighting to ensure that we receive all of the benefits that we've earned. Benefits to help with medical care, rehabilitation and training, and our dedicated professionals know how to navigate the system so our injured veterans can concentrate on getting well. Thank you, Paralyzed Veterans, for helping our daughter. My husband. My son. Thank you, Paralyzed Veterans of America, for helping my brother. To learn how you can help our injured veterans, visit Paralyzed Veterans of America at pva.org. A public service of Paralyzed Veterans of America. You're listening to Localize from WSC News. I'm Warjalis. This morning it was announced that all 41 Broadway theaters in New York City will remain closed until May of next year. The closure, which began in March of this year, will cost the industry and the city billions of dollars in revenue and raises questions about live theaters' ability to survive the pandemic. But these questions haven't stopped small theater organizations like USC's Off Off Broadway from trying to bring beloved shows to their audiences. Here to talk with us about Off Off's plan to weather the pandemic is club president Allison Lambert. Allison, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. So first off, Allison, for our listeners who may or may not know, what is Off Off Broadway and what do you guys do? Off Off Broadway is um, a student-led musical theater organization here on campus. Um, we produce at least one show each semester. We do uh, student-written shows, reviews, uh, licensed shows, um, and we are completely you know, member-led. So everything from our set design to our PR, all of that is done by our students. Awesome. So, so Off Off Broadway is kind of a punny name. Can, can you just, you know, where does Off Off the name come from? You know, we've actually been around for quite a long time, so um, there's some uh, history I may not know to that, but, you know, if you've ever heard of off-Broadway theaters, um, you know, those are smaller shows that haven't quite made it to Broadway. We are off of off-Broadway. Uh. So, 
we're you know not quite to off Broadway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So so when all of this you know when all of this pandemic stuff first began, Allison, I can't imagine how hard it must have been for an organization. Uh, like yours. But, you know, what was happening behind the scenes at Off Off? Uh, so, you know, when did you guys realize that this was serious? <laughs> um, well, it was actually proceeding when before when I came president, um, we actually had to cancel our spring show. Um, we were set to perform Mamma Mia. And when that show didn't just get postponed, but canceled, that's when it really became mm. real for us. And then as our, ex- our current executive board was elected in, um, it was definitely, we were definitely thrown for a bit of a loop trying to figure out what really was possible for this semester, considering we weren't even sure what state the pandemic was going to be in two months, two weeks from that time. Yeah, yeah, I remember that because I love Mamma Mia and I was definitely planning on going. Um, so you guys had some shows for the for the spring, you said, that got canceled. Um, but what was that decision-making process like? That had to have been hard for you guys. Um, decision-making process for canceling the spring show? Yeah. Um, well, it really came down about to, you know, safety of our members, taking, um, a look at what other organizations on campus were doing, um, and, you know, trying to be safe for everyone, um, you know, as much as we wanted to perform, we are more than just a performance group. You know, we are more than a performance group. We are a community on top of that. And even though, you know, when it came down to canceling our shows, we knew even if we canceled our shows, we'd still be a community for our members. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I I really like what you said there about um, the community because Off Off Broadway is such a different kind of organization. Uh, you recently said that Off Off Broadway is open to anyone and everyone with any interest in theater and that it's also completely student run. So there's also that second feature there. But, you know, tell me really quick, what is your story in Off Off Broadway? And, you know, how do you get to join the organization if you're any ordinary student? You know, actually, I'm I'm one of those people that um, I am included in the literally anyone because I didn't have any musical really any musical theater experience before I came to college. I just had a slight interest in Broadway, and I was um, a dan- I am a dancer. Um, my freshman year roommate, she had just come back from the org fair, and I was sitting at my dorm doing nothing. And she was like, oh, I'm going to this interest meeting for a Broadway club. Want to come with? And I was like, you know, I I don't have anything else to do tonight. And then um, somehow I made it here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it it really is that easy. Um, Each semester we hold, you know, we're at the org fairs. We hold interest meetings. Um, You can contact us on any of our social media, our website, Garnet Gate, if you're a student. And that's all you have to do is reach out and we'll, we'll help you. We'll help you get you in from there. Yeah. So, you know, like we said earlier, it's been a difficult time for theaters everywhere. Um, but you know, you guys are planning a show this, this semester, which is a little bit different from how you would normally produce a show. It's a cabaret show pre-recorded, and it has a special theme. So just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, our show this semester is a cabaret, which means, um, as we're putting it on, each uh, member got to sign up to do an act. And so it's kind of self-led in the sense that they get decide to decide what they would like to do, um, as long as it fits under our theme, which is off-cast. Um, off-cast meaning um, 
roles you wouldn't traditionally be cast in or putting a role in a new perspective, whether it be, um, it's not your typecast, it's not the societal norm. Um, gender is always a really big popular one, but we wanted it to be more than that. We want it to be about celebrating what makes you different and um, you know, breaking down some of, you know, even if it's Broadway, an exceptional community, breaking down some of those prejudices or thoughts um, that can be put in place. Yeah. And when can we, when can we go see that show? Yeah, so we are um, streaming it. We're streaming it the weekend of the 18th through 24th. The details of how we're streaming that are still being ham hammered out, um, but it will be that weekend, which is right before Thanksgiving. Um, and if you follow us on our social media or just check out our website, we'll be updating with um, details as we get them there. All right, well, Allison, thank you so much for joining me today. That was Allison Lambert, president of USC's completely student-run musical theater group, Off Off Broadway. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode of Localize. Make sure to join us every Friday at 6 p.m. for a local take on this week's biggest stories. Localize is a production by WSC News and is produced by Mary Bryant Charles and Ward Jollis. The outreach coordinator for Localize is Rita Naidu, and the music for the show is called Freedom by Atch. If you want to listen to other news shows and WSC News podcasts, you can find those at garnetmediagroup.org. Jamie Harrison will join us on Monday, so make sure to tune in for that at 6 p.m., Brady Fitzgerald has the sports up next. I'm Ward Jollis. And I'm Marin Slowey. We'll see you next week.